Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Intelligame Radio. I'm your host, Josh Boykin, founder of Intelligame.us, a community where we make connections between games and the world around us. There's all sorts of discussion right now about reopening, about getting back to normal, whatever that was. These are the scenes that we see on social media, on the news. Protests and talk of haircuts, armed protesters, a vast majority of which are white, I might point out, walking into state capitals demanding their freedom, as though the ability to walk en masse into a state capital while armed and not be confronted by riot police, tear gas, or etc. is not freedom, but I digress. As the country and the world as a whole tries to figure out what comes next, There have been many people who think we shouldn't try to go back to the way things were. You can count me among them. Sure, there'll be social and economic situations to handle the front. Crowd sizes in closed stores and restaurants. Unemployment that won't simply rebound just because the country is open for business again. And that says nothing of the lives that have been affected or lost. But there are other questions, too. What does it mean? if we can actually have more remote workplaces? What do we do with healthcare in a country that so strongly ties insurance to job status? What about housing for so many people who now find themselves without jobs? And what about the environment, which seems to have improved somewhat in so many places with the slowdown of much of our traffic? To answer these questions, I hope we don't simply try to go back to normal. The issues that we're encountering now are simply exaggerated versions of already broken systems that have been harming people and our world for decades, far beyond that. And though I can't pretend that I have the answers, I can certainly say that returning to the status quo would be a step backwards. And backwards isn't something we should aim for. That's why this week, our episode is called Forward. For Intelligame, I hope we continue to move forward amidst all of this, and a part of that is bringing back Intelligame Radio. However, we're revising the format a bit. First off, our regular, segmented show is moving to a bi-weekly schedule. It'll still debut on Mondays. On off weeks, we'll be airing What We're Playing, a shorter, casual interview show where we highlight the games we've been spending time with. Hopefully, this'll help listeners keep up with more of the amazing games out there in the space. Also, I'll be tweaking the Director's Cut segment of Intelligame Radio, instead focusing on a sort of mini-essay that will hopefully provide more time for our interviews inside our hour-long blog. I hope you enjoy the new format. This week, I'm interviewing Malik Forte, a friend of mine who's been all over the gaming spaces of the internet. After working with friends and starting his own blog, he eventually worked for Nerdist.com, hosted TBS's E-League, and was also one of the main hosts for Blizzard's Overwatch League. During the interview, we talk about the forward progress he's made in his career, and the potential for forward progress in the game industry. I'll also be delivering this week's game recommendation, Jenny is off this week. Please send any feedback you have to me at josh at intelligame.us. Again, josh at intelligame.us. Let's go ahead and get started with our interview. Malik, it is good to have you here on Intelligame Radio. How you been, man? Been good, man. I've been surviving just like everyone else during this time of quarantine, enjoying spending time with my wife every day and staying in the house playing a lot of video games. 
<laughs> you know, it, it feels like so many of us are having these different experiences and it is good to hear about people who are able to to adjust to this positively and to, and to have some of those good experiences, even as yeah. we're all dealing with sort of the, the collective societal issues. Yeah, we're lucky. We're lucky ones. You and I have known each other for a while. In fact, the first time we met was way back in my game crit career. This is back at C2E2. It might have been one of the first C2E2s. It's a comic expo out in Chicago. Yeah, I remember we were, uh, it was Injustice, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, was a, it was an Injustice interview I shouldn't have even been able to get into. <laughs> yeah, it was with, uh, uh, I think, Ed Boone himself mm-hmm. was there. I'm still convinced to this day that the only reason that they let me in was that they assumed that I was part of your outlet because we were <laughs> because I was black. And it's just like here's here's some black people walking yeah. together. They must be they must be the same group, which I mean worked, but like it, it worked, man. Uh, I will say though that uh, at the time, yeah, we were kind of just rolling like just a two-man indie squad and I didn't really know where that content would live, but I figured, yo, this is a time to talk to Ed Boone. I'm going to take it. Yeah. Yeah. So for folks who are not as familiar, what's your history been like? I mean, it, I started off playing. I was doing professional gaming, play Rainbow Six Vegas for a period of time. Won a couple tournaments. It wasn't as lucrative as it is nowadays. So I didn't make, <laughs> didn't make millions or anything like that. And, uh, I gained a small following. I think people were kind of surprised to see a person of color doing so well and being so outspoken because I was a big trash talker. And that's kind of <laughs> always been my thing about playing online games. It's like, in what way can I make a white man mad? I can beat them <laughs> in video games. So I just did that a lot. But the career didn't really go anywhere in pro gaming. So once I noticed I had a little bit of a following, I started a YouTube channel. And the YouTube channel was originally geared specifically toward Rainbow Six. And I started to branch out as people started to watch and just started talking about games, period. So many people were watching the channel and they were asking for more things that I couldn't really provide because I couldn't make videos all the time. So I started a blog with some friends of mine, of course. They helped me with that. One of them you met at C2E2. He was with me, my friend Carlos. Yeah, Carlos. Um, yeah, so we started the the blog. It went by the name Iron Star, and that did well. And then we did some rebranding later on, and it became Max Level. That was my start, and that was required me like going to E three, going to events. Like we started pretty early on after I started that blog. Since I had folks from the YouTube channel coming to the blog, we were able to get good traffic and able to qualify to get credentials to go to a lot of these conventions. So. That's how I got into like <laughs> that that whole thing with Ed Boone and stuff it was because people I had a little bit of traffic, a little bit of eyes reading the blog. Did that for a while until about 2013 when I was approached by Brian Walton. He was the editor in chief at Nerdist.com, and I had met him like a, a few years before that, and we bonded because we're both from the same hometown, Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't at Nerdist at the time, though, and he eventually landed that job. And him and Chris Hardwick were looking to build a video game category for Nerdist.com, and they hadn't done it yet. So Brian ran into me at PAX one year, and he was like, yo, would you be interested in like possibly you know, working on at Nerdist? And at the time, I was still indie, and I was like, well, we'll see. A couple of months went by after that happened. I ran into Chris Hardwick. I ran to Chris himself. I ran to him at Comic-Con. 
And he was like, yo, I saw your videos. Would you be interested? And so it was like after hearing it from both of them, I started to weigh that a little more. And at the time I was living in Cincinnati. So I was like, yo, what can I do to like expand? Mm -hmm. I, I took the job. I moved from Cincinnati and Phoenix. I was in Phoenix for a few months freelancing. And then when they wanted to bring me in full time, I moved from Phoenix to Los Angeles. And yeah, that that's pretty much how things kind of start taking off. People like the Nerdist brand anyway, but they also like the fact that like we were covering games and doing it in like a voice that was very like, uh, I guess, uh, I wouldn't say snarky, but we definitely didn't hold our tongues. Sure. Uh, so yeah, that, that we did that for a while. It got really big, <laughs> bigger than I expected <laughs> it to get. And next thing I know, I had all these people sending me games, telling me to review their games, invite me to like press events. Did that for a little while, but uh, Nerdist was founded by Chris Hardwick, who is a host. And so being under that, uh, being under his wing, I kind of had to adapt and learn how to host. I also got to work with Jessica Chobot, who was formerly with IGN. Sure. I got to host a couple shows with her, so I got to learn a lot. She is world class when it comes to hosting. And, you know, she was always just so nice always just so accepting always she always wanted to like give and teach and educate everybody around her make everybody around her better she was like a like the best teammate you could have you know being around jessica it elevated everybody around her include myself and next thing i know i was hosting events uh, i was getting invited to host small events for like vr companies blizzard hit me up they're like yo host the heroes of the storm launch event and then that became me hosting BlizzCon. And then I'm next thing I know, I'm like a host. And I was like, right. wait, how did I make that transition? I was like, <laughs> I was just writing about video games. And now I'm here hosting, looking in cameras and stuff. So uh, I did that for a few years at Nerdist. But there came a point in time where we had some uh, people in the higher up end of Nerdist who really weren't the most friendly and really weren't trying to pay everybody fairly. And so I... You know how I am, man. I, I don't, I don't, I always am like, if I'm going to build a legacy, it's going to be on my own legs and feet. Yeah. I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm not going to ever let somebody just like use me as a doormat. So I, I quit. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> and uh, I, I had something, of course, lined up. Uh, I ended up leaving Nerdist to go work with Bleacher Report on a show about esports. That got me involved with Turner Sports. Once I did that esports show and they canceled that because uh, we just didn't really get support from Bleacher Report, but Turner really liked me. So they mm -hmm. brought me in for this thing called E-League. It was their esports show that they put on TBS. So I ended up hosting uh, E-League for Overwatch. That ended up actually doing very well. I would say that that show was very instrumental in Overwatch League becoming a thing and them getting investors interested because they saw Overwatch on TV. They saw Jimmy Fallon taking clips from the show and talking about him on his show. And it was just a really good look for Overwatch, a really good look for esports. And it made a lot of those guys with a lot of money think like, yo, we need to like cash in and get involved in this league. Ended up doing some Street Fighter stuff with them. And yeah, that 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 started all the hosting, man. That's how I got into like hosting. That's kind of where I'm at now. I'm just still still hosting some esports here and there. So mm -hmm. That's kind of like the the timeline. I tried to do it as fast <laughs> as I could. No, that's I mean that's a lot of history to 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 pack into a small amount of time. You know, I think what has always been interesting to me is seeing the ways that you've 
adapted from situation to situation. And it feels like as we watch sort of this this entire what were these physical components of games now adapting to being these digital spaces, it's yet another you know, another way to shift. You've been spending more time streaming. How how has it felt kind of seeing the world respond to spending more time online and you know in some of these more digital professional spaces uh this this is it's since about motions kind of in every direction to be honest because mm-hmm. you, know, you you look at how, the way the game industry is handling or the gaming community this is not nothing new to us right we we are used to being homebodies and staying at home but it's not necessarily the staying at home part that that is affecting us more so than it is the like the lack of ability to exit our house. And right. so that's definitely been taking its toll, I think, on a lot of people. Uh, and it's been forcing a lot of people or driving a lot of people to make rash statements and just all everybody's been lashing out on social media and everywhere. So that's been very interesting. But uh We've seen a lot of good things. Like we've seen people be more creative. We've seen people, you know, pursue that dream of being a Twitch streamer or making those YouTube videos or whatever the case. I'm going to make content. We've seen a lot of that. And then on the flip side, we've seen a lot of people who feel like they cannot keep their mental health or their mental space together in this time. And I think that's been showing a lot. Uh, You've been seeing a lot of folks who have been very depressed over this and so they're not streaming as much. And so you're not seeing content from people. And some people are directly affected by the pandemic. They have a family member who's sick or they've been sick themselves. So we haven't really seen much of them during this time. It's almost right. like an eerie silence from folks that we're used to seeing. There's been a couple of streamers I was kind of seeing go off the map. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. been it's been all over the place, man. But the way I feel about it, man, I'm just I'm just happy to see that there is some positivity at the end of the day because I was worried that, you know, it wouldn't be this way. Also, I, another thing that I've been really enjoying is seeing so many people become gamers. So many people sure. who didn't play video games before, like since they have nothing else to do or since they're in their house, they've been getting into it. And I think there's a fonder appreciation for the medium now than there was before. Because a lot of people are like, well, why do you game? That's stupid. Or uh, they didn't really understand the full scale of what a video game could be and what right. type of experience it is. And I think they're getting that when they're sitting at home and they're playing through The Last of Us for the first time or they're jumping into Animal Crossing for the first time. I think that that's been a very intriguing to see. And I'm happy about that because I feel like it gives the medium more respect. And uh, it also provides you and I with job security. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're like, oh, you care about games now. Well, good, because I have a discussion for you and a place for you to pay attention. Right. I feel like you have spent a lot of time integrating advocacy work into whatever platforms you've been on, right. um, regardless of whether you've been working at Bleacher Report, Nerdist, doing this work with Overwatch League. It seems like that you are still trying to take time to make sure that you are having discussions to support marginalized folks, right. usually a lot of times black people in particular. What are some of the ways that you feel like the space has changed? for folks who are you know approaching these discussions from the margins do you feel like this is a better time to be able to try and get into the space to become one of those creators yeah i think so i guess the to answer the first leg of that question it's it's weird because i don't really consider myself as an advocate 
like the 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 things that I talk about are like when I speak out about some issue pertaining to the marginalized groups in gaming. It's it's just coming from personal experiences. This is me saying like what's going on. It's just me telling the truth. I never really look at myself on a soapbox or at a pulpit. I'm just I'm just speaking. Like I'm just saying like what I'm seeing. And I think that if a lot of people were able to do that, then you probably hear it a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the one thing for me is my time when working with all these companies, with all these people, I've never felt the need to not speak the truth or not speak what's on my mind or not say what I see. And some people feel the opposite of that. They feel like they can ruin their business relationships. They feel like they can ruin their career. They feel like they can uh, separate their audience from themselves. And they feel like a lot of people, you know, will feel alienated. Someone told me, I'm not going to say who, but one time me and him had a candid conversation and he basically said to me, do you feel like when you speak up about these events that you basically, you say things about like black folks not being included and you speak about it, do you feel like you're alienating all the white folks who support you? And I'm like, well, why would, how am I alienating them by saying that we should be more inclusive? I never, I never really understood that logic, but that's something that some people, that's a way that some people feel. They hate when you make it about race. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy because it's like, I don't want to make it about race. I would love to be judged off of merit. I'd love to see an all-inclusive community that, you know, judges people off merit and that is welcoming to everybody, but it's not, that's not the case. And so right. when you say I'm making it about race, it's really not me. It's you guys because- it's, it's, it's the community that's doing that and because you're you're not being welcoming. You're being exclusionary toward folks like myself. So I, I'm the type of person like, bro, you know how many events we've been to, folks who throw those after events at gaming uh, conventions or whatever, where they'll let a couple of us in. They don't let us in in groups. And there's been times where they'll be like, well, you, you're the guy from Nerdist. I'll let you in. But I'll be like with several of like my friends, maybe from just around there, around the way. And they'll say no. And I'm not the type of person who will walk in and leave my friends behind. And I feel the right. same way about the industry, the gaming world. I feel the same way. I feel like after a certain amount of time, yeah, it's good. The representation matters. And like even with like my most recent gig at the Overwatch League, year one, the only African-American, strictly African-American person who was in the, on the broadcast team. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll accept it for this year. I'll accept being the only one in the room. I'll accept being that guy at the conference table when you guys say you need culture and everyone looks at them. I'll be that guy. For I'll do that one time, but then we got to see some progress moving into the following year or else I'm not going to stick around here. And right. that's just kind of the way I feel about it, man. I, just, I, feel like, I feel like anybody if you're complicit for too long, man, it's, it's, it's wrong. And it's almost like you're just you're in the same boat as these people who are working night and day to be exclusionary. So. I guess I guess to to answer your full question, man, I, I do think it's important, and I do think that this is a good time because it's not just me. There are more folks out there who are who are on this same wave, who are involved. My good friend Erin A. Simon, this is like her her mission on the daily. You will see her. You go to her Twitter account. You see her. She tweets about this daily. It's to get some more inclusion in here because. Josh, you know, man, we go out to these events, man. Me and you have sat in many media rooms, the only yep. people with our skin complexion, and, and have pondered this. When does this open up? Everybody games. Everybody plays, you know? So I don't understand why we don't see that in, in the game industry. I don't understand why we don't look at 
every time a developer goes gold and they decide, yo, let me put my, uh, let's put a picture of our studio up and celebrate our game coming out soon. You'll see, you, I always sit there and look at those pictures <laughs> and I count how many black people are in the, yeah. are, are on the team, on the dev team. And I'm like, well, this has got to change. This has yeah. got to change at some point. So I think now is, is a great time. Like there's all, it's always a great time. And especially if you're a person of color now, because I feel like people are starting to realize it. And when folks like myself and Aaron and you, Josh, and whoever are speaking about this, there are folks who are receptive to this and who agree. And there, there are more people who like, who are not black. Like there are more white folks who actually agree with us than not. It's that vocal Mm -hmm. minority that always dissuades folks and makes folks afraid to take that leap. But I'm here to say that you don't have to be afraid. Like you got plenty of people championing you. If this is your passion, you need to go for it. And there's no time that's better than now, especially when we're in the middle of a quarantine and everybody's at home. And here you have gaming, which is proven to be a pretty sturdy industry in the middle of all this. So sure. Yeah. It has been really interesting because I can remember again, like even, you know, going back to sitting in that injustice press room. Yeah. We were like the table, right? <laughs> and then, yeah. um, and even looking at just the past couple of events, PAX East before this whole shutdown occurred, I feel like it is now more frequently that I will see creators of color on the floor on a regular basis. Right. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with a lot of content creators, YouTubers, streamers on Twitch or Mixer or YouTube, like people who have these massive followings that are now getting access. Right. I think that one of the things that is interesting about your experience is that you've been able to work in some of these really high visibility, upper level scenarios, but you're still also maintaining some contact with folks who are those, you know, those sort of on the ground level content creators. What ways do you think people... How do people go about making that shift? Yeah, the shift. That that's a that's a roadmap that I think is is waiting to be plotted. Right for me, I started off like making content on my own, on my own website, my own YouTube channel, and now, like you said, and this is before Twitch was what it was. This is before gaming was what it was. This was in a time where it was a lot more obscure. So I think now that things are big and there's demand for gaming content and stuff like that, it's a little more difficult. But I, I think that it's more possible never based off the simple fact that the demand is higher. And the best way to go about getting there, honestly, is just to stay true to yourself. I feel like the one big mistake that a lot of us make, and I've made this mistake many times. I learned this lesson. I actually have a video about this it's called Being Black in the Game Industry. It's on my YouTube channel. It's still, it's still public if anybody wants to watch it. <laughs> the cold switch, man. There was times where I cold switched a little too hard, and it, it was a compromise of, of my content's integrity. Yeah, absolutely. That idea of, like, if you need to adjust to a situation, how do you do it while also, like, being yourself, right? Like, we all have. I, I feel like in particular, like, cause I, I, my background, I, I spent a lot of time being like the only black person in white spaces. So like, right. but I, I've done that same thing where it's like, okay, well, am I, am I changing my speech a little bit too much? Am I not 
willing to talk about this thing that, yeah. that bothers me because I'm I'm trying not to make somebody angry. Yeah. And it's an afterthought. That's the crazy part about it. Those are afterthoughts. You don't think about those things in a moment when you actually do right. it because it's become such a part of who you are. It's in our genetics. We know since, you know, that's passed down from our ancestors back. That was a survival mechanism for for, for slaves, you know, back in the day, they would do that so they wouldn't get they wouldn't get beat or they wouldn't, you right. know, be harmed by their slave masters. And so that's stuff that's been passed down to us and we do it kind of just unbeknownst to us. And then you think about it afterwards. I do I do think that that's really important. It's just like keeping that integrity, keeping it and making it clear what it is that you're setting out for and what you're striving for when you're trying to make content, when you're trying to be involved with companies, making it very clear what it is that you want because they will make it clear what they want to you. And and yeah. um I think if you can keep that type of uh, transparency, you'll be fine. Also, like network is always important. And I think now, since you're seeing a lot more people of color ascending into those positions, the opportunities for you to be connected and to be plugged into those is even greater. So I, I think that that's definitely important, too, is to make sure you're networking, you're talking to other people of color. I, I One really cool thing that I experienced last year, and I'm sad that we couldn't do it this year because of what happened with Corona, but I was able to host the Afro Dev Awards at GDC, which mm-hmm. is basically uh, a celebration of African-American game developers. We handed out the Jerry Lawson Award, which is an award for top innovators in the game industry in, uh, of last year. Uh, and Jerry Lawson, of course, if you don't know who he is, uh, that, that man is pretty much responsible for gaming being the way it is today. So mm-hmm. the, the brilliant mind behind the cartridge and the technology that is in cartridges. And cartridges are essentially what kicked consoles into high gear. And console gaming is essentially what made the industry as big as it is now. So our contribution in this industry cannot be denied. As African-Americans, we should take pride in that. And I think that any person of color uh, outside of just black folks should always look at that and say, you know, this is not a white man's game like they make it out to be. The thing is, they can, you know, a lot of there's a lot more white money in gaming and that's why it seems that way mm-hmm. so yeah I, I but i do think that uh when i was at that event i realized like yo there's there's a lot of dope african-american people out here putting in work in the game industry and i, I wouldn't have never met these people if i didn't host that award show but i got to meet all these folks and i, was, I keep in contact with most of them now talking to one of them yesterday <laughs> It's crazy to me. It's crazy to me to think that, like, because the industry is so big and there's just so many people involved, you just don't know it. But uh, right. when it comes to this, like, uh, I don't think I really realized the true impact of networking until I went to that event because I, I feel like I'm pretty plugged into the game industry. I know, like, a lot of folks who work in a lot of different facets of it because I've been across so many of them. But I didn't meet any of those people in that room. That that was my first time meeting a lot of those people. And I was shocked because they were like people who were working at EA, people who were working at like the biggest video game companies, like mm-hmm. tied in, like in positions of power and positions of, of leadership. And I had no clue who they were. So that was that was a shock to me. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, I, I cannot stress enough how important it is to make it to networking events, especially ones like those. I hope there's another Afro dev. If anybody... From from uh, Sony Computer Entertainment America. Here's this. Please do it again. <laughs> it's it's interesting. 
I've had people, so I, I live in Portland, which is uh, Portland, Oregon. Oof. I think both Portlands actually have this in common that they're My very brother lives in the spaces. other Portland. Is it, is it also very white? Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have frequently had people reach out to me and say, this is a thing for which we would like more not white people to be here. And essentially are asking for my Rolodex, right? They're like, can you, can you bring oh, other, yeah. And I, I look at that as a, um, as a, as a two pronged thing, right? One is that I'm lucky to have access to the spaces that I do. Yeah. And in, you know, just like you were saying, like there are so many executives, so many people that you network with that if you're not intentional about finding other people of color it can be very difficult to find other people of color yeah. so i i look at it in some ways as like well here's an opportunity for me to give some scaffolding to other people but there is also that frustration of like oh okay hey hey black person can you bring more black people please <laughs> like i also realized what a small number of people i know and that i've had to be intentional about going out and cultivating relationships with other people of color as somebody who lives in portland i've got a lot of friends who are uh who are streamers who are content creators and i'm happy to spend time with them but i also have realized even just over the past few weeks i've been really intentional about like following more black creators following more creators of color uh tiktok has actually been a really big push for me in that direction i don't i don't make tiktoks i'm not (laughs) i haven't reached that level of quarantine millennial yet but there are a lot of discussions that are taking place about how do creators of color create that scaffolding for other creators of color how do we make those spaces for uh for people to be successful i wonder you you talked about aaron a simon earlier are there other other creators and and i should also mention that this seems to be something that you have practiced with like crew ham like you've always brought those folks with you from that ground level to to try and provide those opportunities for for networking growth what are ways that you think people can go about making sure that they are following a more diverse group of people in the media that they consume uh so that's tough that's a tough one. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of the best way, the best route. What's the most efficient? Because, I mean, of course, you can go to Twitch page and just like, go, you know, but go it's to Twitch and but it's hard. Through. It's hard. Yeah, you, I'm saying like, like when when the Valorant uh when Valorant dropped and they were like, hey, all you have to do is like watch a Twitch stream of one of these partnered, you know, the people who have drops enabled to try and get a Valorant key, and I scrolled that page looking for creators of color. And I found like that's King Richard. That's a, I think that was the only one I found. King Richard, yeah, because he's yeah he's godlike. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to his mechanical skills and shooters, and I think that gives him lots. Of, and he's a streamer. He like does it a lot. Right. But there's other streamers that do it a lot too that aren't like godlike mechanically, that are of color and that could have definitely hosted that Valorant event and had drops on their channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've said this on actually a podcast a couple of weeks ago, I was very frustrated with the lack of streamers of color who had that feature yep. because that gave a lot of people who did do it a lot of exposure and a lot of followers and helped grow their channels. And I'm like, then that's a bone you could have thrown a lot of streamers of color yep. and you didn't and you didn't riot. So man, it's a, what you're saying is true, bro. It's, it's tough. I, I, I say Twitter 
you're starting to see uh people centralize on Twitter quite a bit as far as like uh creators of color. So I'll say like if you don't have a Twitter and you're looking for a game people in the gaming space who are of color, you should definitely like hop on Twitter and just look around because they're definitely there a, a lot more than they were previously. People are more outspoken and more willing to share their content mm-hmm. on there. I say if you go to any live events uh, God help us, we have any live events anytime right. in the near future. There's always something like a meetup or something popping up. There's the cookout. You ever heard of the cookout? Yeah, the streaming group. Yeah, it's a streaming group of uh, African American streamers. They're all dope. By the way, I'm doing something that I really hate when other people do it, so I'm going to stop saying it. Okay. I'm, I got to stop saying African American because it's like <laughs> we're American, right? And, um, I just think, like, I don't, I hate saying black too. Mm-hmm. So we'll just stick with people of color. Sure. But anyway, uh, to, to get all sorts of, all sorts of folks, not just black folks. Yeah. Yeah. I just, just to clear that up real quick. But, uh, yeah, there, there's the, the cookout's great, man. Uh, I met them through this guy named Denny Von Doom. He goes by that name mm-hmm. on Twitter. And, uh, Denny, uh, I actually had like a lot of mutual friends that were in the group before and I didn't even know it. They're, they're all just like legit and they're all, people with aspirations of working in the industry and are working towards that. I got a f- couple of friends on Twitch who I think are, you know, right on the cusp of blowing up pretty big. My friend Trey Pound, he's from the fighting game community, but he streams a lot. My friend Asai, uh, he goes by Cybe, plays games on Twitch. These are a couple of Twitch streamers I would say definitely take a look at. And then uh, there's folks who are journalists as well. Uh, Jita Jackson, you know yeah. her, right? Yeah. Yeah, Jita Jackson. She's one of my favorite journalists in gaming. And she's always doing her thing. I think she's uh currently working at Vice now. Mm-hmm. It moved over from Kotaku. Yeah, uh there's Adrian, aka Esco Blades. He's uh he always is very socially conscious about what's going on in the world. You'll see him tweeting about that quite a quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh there's Rondé Fox. He was a Call of Duty uh host and caster for a little while, but he now is kind of branched out to doing multiple things. And podcasting as well. Uh, shoot, um, let's go. Yeah, on, bro. there's so many right? folks <laughs> out there. Uh, and I, honestly, if you follow Aaron A. Simon, mm-hmm. Aaron, she's really good about highlighting other people. She goes out of her way to make sure other people are getting some eyeballs and getting some recognition. So, Aaron's become a, a bit of a beacon. Uh, she's she's somebody who I see. When it comes to this mission of getting more inclusion in gaming, I I consider her to be very integral in making that happen, just because of the amount of passion and work that she puts into crossing streams. If you want to see a lot more people of color in the industry, and you want to get some exposure and learn some new names and see some new faces, Aaron A. Simon is the person you should pay attention to right now. Well, I will I will definitely make sure to give Aaron a follow myself. <laughs> Do it, man. You won't regret it. We are running out of time, uh, though I appreciate you being on the show and uh, and giving us some of your perspective. Not a problem, man. Thank you for having me, bro. It's a long time coming. Yeah. So before uh, before we let you go, I'm going to ask you the question we ask all of our interviewees. Sure. If you were to choose an IntelliGame, a game that you feel was really transformative for the way that you look at games or a game that you would recommend somebody else play to have a a better understanding of what is is special about games. What would that game be and why? Oh man, it's tough because it, you know you know how it goes, yeah. right? Through life, you have like different games that kind of fit in that space. Like The Last of Us, I feel like was 
uh, a really good game for convincing folks who weren't gamers that gaming is actually like legit, yeah. like a legit medium of entertainment. Because most of the people I've played Last of Us in front of, my mom included, they sat there and watched the whole entire thing. And when I like would take breaks, they would tell me to get back on. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like that one, like my my coming of age game for me was this game that came out on PlayStation 2 called SOCOM. Oh, sure. Um, You had to go to the game store and get a network adapter and plug it in so you can play on the internet. But it was one of the first games that you could play on the internet through your PlayStation 2. Just through consoles, period. It was one of the, you know, one of the first big online games. And I feel like when I played that game, I've made so many friends that are still my friends today. But it was it was my first time like really opening up my social circle to folks on the internet that way. I learned a lot about uh, a lot of things. I think I heard the most racist insults I've ever heard Ooh, in my entire life. Yeah, that was my time so, in Call of Duty. Uh, yeah, right. So, see, now people say stuff on Call of Duty. And I'm like, I heard that like ten years ago. <laughs> right? Like that's an old one, bro. Right. That's an old one. So that that's that was something. You know, since it was so early on in the era of online gaming. You know, I was exposed to a lot of different cultures and a lot of different lifestyles and just a lot of different like lingo, like really early on. And it was such a culture shock for me. It was like I was traveling to like a whole bunch of cities without actually traveling there and talking to people who live in those cities. Yeah. And so uh, that was that was a, a huge one for me. I think that changed me. Uh, it's not that I would necessarily recommend anybody go back and play it. I don't think you even can. I yeah. think the servers are down, but it was huge for me. And now you get into online gaming it's so big now like and i feel like the conversations are a lot less candid you know and a lot less uh deep like i'd be sitting in the dead room in socom like because you know in socom you had one life you die Mm -hmm. and that's it i'd be sitting in those dead rooms with other folks who are also dead and around and we just talk and sometimes it'd be people i didn't like and people who didn't like me for whatever reason and sometimes it'd be people i really bonded with so yeah, yeah. That, uh, it's not like that anymore. Of course, every game is just like our attention span is so short. They try to keep you out of situations where you're sitting there waiting too long. Right. So. Huh. That's a really interesting way to look at it because I, I think about the online spaces that are being created, even on a small scale, the ways that people come together in Animal Crossing or something like that. But those are even still yeah. generally with people you already know. But having a, a sort of dedicated time to have a discussion with a stranger, which I mean, obviously, like, depending on your level of marginalization can feel safe or not. But yeah, that's a that's a really interesting way to look at that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it was eye opening for me, too, especially there were a couple guys who eventually joined my squad. But when I first met them, they hated me. And they were like these country guys who like never talked to a black person their entire life. And, uh, you know, we played the game together. They respected the skills. They respected the insight. They're like, okay, this guy's nice. Changed their whole perspective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the problem we have here in America is people aren't getting outside their bubbles enough to, so they don't have respect for other people. Yeah. And uh, I got to experience that luckily really early on with uh, online gaming. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, well, Malik, thank you, for, uh, thank you for the time. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Malik for being on the show. You can find him on social media at Malik, the number four, play, or you can head over to his website, crewham.com slash Malik Forte. You can currently find him hosting Contesting the Point on the Call of Duty League channel. 
I think most of us have dealt with the idea that time is a bit of an illusion, a construct, over the past few weeks. There have been days that shot by with no warning, hours that have stretched on into infinity, and a blurring together of the days such that it can be hard to remember if it's Tuesday or Saturday without some external cue. But regardless of the rate, time seems to be continuing forward and it's amazing what can happen in even the smallest amounts of it. An entire career, as we heard, can pivot from the course of just a couple conversations, but that opportunity can come from years' worth of work put in beforehand. On the flip side, we can see that over a decade of economic growth and job gains can be shattered in just a couple short yet unending months. There's no salve to heal the pain of lives lost, the people who are in far more precarious or dangerous positions than they were just two to three months ago. But as we deal with the fallout from this disease, as well as its mishandling, we also recenter discussions of social safety nets, of healthcare. We make masks, take time to think of others. We see the ways that the environment can improve if we change our actions. We move forward. Forward is a strange term because it feels concrete, but it's kind of an abstraction. When you play Mario Brothers on the NES, forward is moving right. In other games, it's moving up or left, or perhaps no specific direction at all. Forward is simply an indicator of progress. I'll admit that even in my own experience of late, it's sometimes been hard to feel like I'm moving forward. At best, life feels frozen in place as I stay in the same house, somehow lose items in the small number of square feet I inhabit regularly each day. But I think about the number of people out there taking this time to help others, to make new things, or simply to focus on themselves and their health and well-being right now. Regardless of whether they're big, dramatic, career-altering moves or small, incremental changes, they can all be progress forward. None of us know where things go from here, and it increasingly feels like trying to predict the future is utter folly. I mean, can you imagine what you'd have had to do to make an accurate prediction about May in January, when the top story was, like, potential World War III with Iran? But regardless of that, there's a chance right now to make those small, micro-level changes forward for many of us. And there's also a space to seed the ground for large-scale, macro-level shifts in the world and our society, too. And though I often talk about the ways that we can get up and take action, or the ways that we can help others, a time like this also reminds me that sometimes we move forward by accepting help as well, or by making genuine space to rest and recover without self-criticism. Now is not the time to try and run the car on fumes if there's a chance to refuel. Set a goal, maybe starting with a small one, and take steps towards that. After all, that's how we know we're moving forward, when we're headed towards something. That actually brings us to our game recommendation for the week. A title about tackling difficulty and making progress, even if it's sometimes slow or outright frustrating but taking on that forward motion with empathy, understanding, and self-knowledge. 
There are three mountains easily visible from the Portland area. Mount St. Helens, Mount Rainier, and Mount Hood. I grew up in the flatlands of northern Illinois, and I didn't appreciate the sheer size of a real mountain until I saw my first one moving to Southern California after college. Biking to and from work, I could see mountain ranges in the distance, and though I never found out what those ranges were named, something always felt so compelling about these natural spires of stone. Heading north out of Portland from the airport, there's a bridge that connects into Washington that crosses the Columbia River. With no buildings in the way, it can provide a crystal clear view of Mount Hood, or at least I think it's Mount Hood. Sometimes I've thought about simply veering my car away from wherever I was heading and driving to the mountain. I've wondered what it would be like to climb it, to try and reach the peak. I don't know exactly what force it is that compels me there, but it's strong. A similar compulsion moves Madeline in the game Celeste, developed by the studio Matt Makes Games Inc. She finds herself at the base of Celeste Mountain, taking on the climb for a reason she's not exactly sure of. She just knows she needs to get to the peak. On the way up, she meets other people with their own attachments to the mountain. There's Theo, an easygoing photographer simply there to explore. There's also the old woman, who now lives at the base of the mountain, showing up to sometimes berate Madeline as she climbs, but also to give encouragement. And then, there's the part of Madeline that the fandom refers to as Badeline. Celeste is a precision platformer. Each level is made up of multiple screens, where you jump and dash your way from one place to another. Screens are laden with gaps, spike traps, and all sorts of other hazards, and it can require precise timing and skill to be successful. But even amidst Celeste Mountain's natural hazards, there's still Madeline, a physically manifested part of Madeline that antagonizes her, that wants to keep her from reaching the summit, that sabotages her not just mentally, but also physically. It's not always just the outside world that's difficult to conquer. Sometimes it's the challenges within ourselves that keep us from our goals, too. Celeste is a challenging game by design. It's not unusual for new players to die a hundred times on a single stage. But, unlike other precision platformers like Super Meat Boy, which I'll admit I also like, games that revel in your pain, Celeste wants you to succeed wants to inspire you to overcome the difficulties. I actually started playing it because, as you can probably predict, Jenny recommended it to me. There's a screen early on in the game where it tells you, the player, you can do this. Seeing that screen kept Jenny inspired through the whole game, even when it got tough. There's also plenty about the game's design that encourages success, minor tweaks to the mechanics that make the game more accessible, quick respawns after death so you don't feel as punished, and a host of assist options that can ease the game's overall difficulty. The game even tells you up front that there's no special ending or benefit for playing the hard parts of the game, for trying to find all the hidden strawberries in the level. It's all about your own journey to the top of the mountain. Celeste's wonder comes from the blending of all of its pieces, Mechanically crisp platforming, beautiful music, 
and an immersive plot that provides direct discussions of anxiety, depression, and battling both external challenges and internal demons. Though our physical world has always come with these kinds of struggles, as people deal with the myriad of physical, mental, and emotional tolls that have come with this global pandemic, it's great to have a game that still pushes us forward at the end of the day. It doesn't pull punches, it doesn't say reaching the summit will be easy, but it does say you can do this. Celeste is available on Steam and Itch.io, the Epic Game Store, as well as PS4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. You can also play a free version of Celeste Classic, the sort of lo-fi minigame that inspired the full title, by going to celestegame.com. Alright folks, that does it for another edition of Intelligame Radio. I've been your host, Josh Boykin. You can find me on Twitter at Wallstormer. Keep an eye out for more Intelligame content by going to our homepage, Intelligame.us, or by following us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at IntelligameUs. You can also keep up with our live streams that we do on Twitch at twitch.tv slash IntelligameUs. If you support the work that we're doing, I would encourage you to support us financially on Patreon. This is a place where just for a few dollars a month, you can help keep what we're doing going. You can swing over to patreon.com slash us for more information. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We will see you next week with what we're playing. Until then, keep IntelliGaming. <laughs>